It's Randy Bauman in the DVE Morning Show. I mean, dead and company in town tonight. Very excited for this show, as I've been telling you, for a lot of reasons. I think it's uh, monumental. The dead have had a long relationship with Pittsburgh. Uh, this may or may not be the last time you see this sort of incarnation playing here at Starlake. And joining us now on the phone, noted author, musician, journalist, radio host of one of my favorite radio shows, his latest book, This Is All a Dream We Dreamed, an oral history of the Grateful Dead. It's the great David Gans this morning. David, good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning. Well, I woke up early to talk with you. I'm on the West Coast, so it's a quarter to six here. Oh, man, I was hoping you were East Coast. I'm so sorry to have uh, woken you so early, but really glad that you took the time to uh, to talk with us today because I see this as a very special day with Dead & Company coming back into town, and uh, I constantly... Uh, and trying to tell people to give this band a chance if you like the Grateful Dead. It seemed like there was a little hurdle a few years back when they started this after the Fairly Well shows of getting people on board. Has that pretty much stopped in your experience in terms of the Grateful Dead community accepting this as, well, yes, John Mayer is a part of it, but this is still what the Grateful Dead has evolved into. This is exactly what the Grateful Dead was going to evolve into. We knew years ago that this music was going to live forever and i'm not at all surprised to see that these guys are still doing something on this scale notice that none of them i mean phil lesh and bill kreutzman took a little bit of time off after jerry garcia died but really they never stopped working any of them Mm -hmm. and and it it just makes perfect sense that they would find a, a way to do it on a large scale again and John Mayer is like a really, really, really excellent addition to this squad. He really knows what he's doing. He's done his homework. I've talked to him many times over the years. And uh, I'm really impressed with, with his participation in it in, in the way, uh, not just John, though. I mean, really, the youngsters in that band, <laughs> relatively speaking, right. are, the, are really doing amazing work. We've got Jeff Kimenti, who I don't know, must be about 50 now. Yeah, he seems like and a kid, though. He, well, he's much younger than his boss, you know, but he's been playing this music with, with Weir for like 25 years now because he came up, you know, out of the jazz scene here in the Bay Area and joined Rap Dog and, and, uh, he, it, and O'Teal Burbridge, amazing bass player. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that they're doing it and I think they're doing a really good job of it. I've been watching every show on the tour because I, my my partner Gary Lambert and I got hired to do these interviews between sets yeah. on the Nugsnet stream, and we just had the greatest time. So I sit there and I watch the whole show, right, and talk about it in between sets, and we do these interviews and all. So I, I, I'm I'm delighted with the way the music sounds and with the energy and focus that these guys are putting into it. All right, I'm gonna, I want to come back to that, but I do want to ask you for the uninitiated. There are those people who who never really understood the Grateful Dead. And I will always argue they're the most important American band by terms of production, productivity, performances through the years. And they have added to the great American songbook, as far as I'm concerned, more than anybody in the last 40 years. But what do you see as being the biggest contributing factor to them being this popular for so long? What aspect of what, constitutes the Grateful Dead and the Grateful Dead experience is the reason they're still thriving. Uh, I do believe that, that 
improvisation is the key. They, they never played the same show twice, and they played, as you noted, they had an amazing songbook. They also did and continued to do really, really interesting interpretations of material from el elsewhere. Hold on a minute. My, my alarm is still going up, <laughs> and even though I'm already awake. Um, they, they, they did have an amazing collection of songs and uh, an amazing knack for interpreting material from elsewhere and turning it into their own. And so eclectic, they drew music from, you know, jug band music and the blues and Chuck Berry and Bob Dylan and then reggae and jazz, you know. They, they brought a whole lot of different kinds of music together into a thing, and they stitched it together with this conversational style of improvisation. And, and they brought us all along with them. They, they play a song like playing in the band that gives you something to think about in the lyrics, and then they go off in this jam, and just you could dance with it, or you could just sit and think about it and listen with them. And it was like listening in on a, a really, really sharp conversation among some really brilliant people. And, and that was, to, to the people that got it, like you and me, it was ridiculously compelling and we wanted to be there every time. And the rest of the world was like, say, what? Mm -hmm. And that was okay with us. You know, that it, was, it was our private thing for a while, but it was good enough and, and attractive enough that it kept you know, bringing in new audiences and people didn't age out of this either. We'd listen to this in college and we'd keep listening to it. And it wasn't like heavy metal where once the hormones cleared, we got interested in other music, right? This music kept our interest and, and we grew up and we raised families and now there's like three generations of deadheads and four generations of deadheads and families. It's, it's really compelling stuff if you get it. Yeah, if you get it. And I think the only thing I can point a finger to is how good the songwriting is in terms of yeah. why it has persevered. When when you look at any other jam band, if you want to compare, you know, I think the Grateful Dead is so much more than that. But the songwriting is so incredibly strong. They had a couple of genius lyricists to go along with two very accomplished songwriters. What Jerry Garcia would write, as opposed to the McCoy Tyner influenced Bob Weir courting, uh, you know, almost avant garde songs at the time, melded into a sound that was able to persevere and also, as you noted, it keeps appealing to people. They discover it, and that's the most fascinating thing to me is that I will talk to you and I'll do a pickup gig with somebody, and you know, kids, uh, you know, coming out of college in their late twenties, will say like, "Oh, well, yeah, let's do." Uh, they love each other. Oh, uh, do you want to do the fast version? Yeah. I like that one with the bridge. Like, how do they know that? It 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 just keeps going for some reason, and it's not just because people like to get high and see the Grateful Dead. There's something more innately spiritually appealing to this. Well Yes, the music goes deep, and it offers up lots of rewards. And as you said, the songwriting is so rich. And and there, there, this music has been played. I mean, I, I'm 68 years old. I started seeing The Dead in 1972, and I was already writing songs and playing the guitar, so I just started adding those kind of songs and finding those kind of musicians to play with. And I've been playing Grateful Dead music along with other stuff for, for all these years. Mm -hmm. And so have 
thousands of other musicians. There's a website called GratefulDeadTributeBands.com, and you can go there and you can tell it where you are, and it'll tell you yeah. where the local the, the Dead mm -hmm. Tribute Band is playing. And there's thousands of hundreds or thousands of Dead Tribute Bands around the country, and wherever you are, you know, you have the cause yeah, in yeah. Pittsburgh. You know, the best, wonderful, wonderful band, and they're really into it, and and they're great. In Atlanta, I know a band that calls themselves Frankly Scarlet, and is mm -hmm. that not a great, great name, name for a band yeah. in Atlanta? <laughs> and their lead guitarist is twenty eight years old. He's yeah. you know he he never saw Jerry Garcia, but he grew up listening to this music because his parents are into it, and he speaks that language brilliantly. And he's on stage with all these other musicians. Who, who feel the same way. We love to get together and talk musically and, and play these songs. And, and, and you know, because it's different every time. We're not perfecting this thing and then playing it perfectly every time. We're up there having, having a loose time and playing with each other, and that's exactly what's going to happen tonight mm -hmm. at Star Lake as well. Those guys are just the top end of this huge culture of people that all love the same songs and love to have this musical conversation. Yeah. And, and in a way, what they're doing is exactly what, frankly, Starlet is doing, what the cause is doing. They're just doing it at a stadium level because <laughs> they got some of the original guys in it. But it, the music is, it, we knew this. I, I had an interview with Jerry in 1981 discuss this he too knew that this music was going to outlive him it's so the, funny the, though the, in that one documentary the scorsese documentary he talks about you know going yeah. to visit that uh, the installation in los angeles that the guy built over time right. the tower yeah the watts towers watts towers right yeah. and basically saying that i don't want that i want i want something more ephemeral and he created the exact opposite he created a musical tower that will live forever. Yeah, I I, I I remember that scene, and I you know there, Jerry has been quoted as saying, "Oh, you know, let's not do anything permanent." But then Jerry also was was acknowledged his own immortality. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. And I think you know whatever whatever momentary you know remember these guys were tripping a lot too. So <laughs> one one. <laughs> One thing, one thing that that was said at one time by this brilliant guy in some context might not necessarily be the holy writ that guides the rest of his life. Yeah. You know, those guys were ambitious as hell. They were they wanted to change the world. There was a moment when they thought maybe putting a little LSD in the water supply would be a good idea too. <laughs> so they they. They intended to do what they did. I don't think anybody imagined it was going to become something so gigantic that they would have to, you know, I mean, the problems they had by the end of the tour in 1995, the, the popularity and the sort of undisciplined nature of the culture that they allowed to spring up around right. them started to, to cost them, you know. The, the, it was the... the the, the downside of this huge success was that they had created this thing that was becoming a cult, you know. Yeah, but they did become problematic. But I, I think those problems are gone now, and it is a, a, a feeling of reverence everywhere you go around these shows. Yeah. Uh, I've loved going to see Dead & Co. I highly recommend people who didn't want to give it a chance because it wasn't The Grateful Dead reconsider because the experience you're going to get out there is unlike anything 
um, that could compare to any other band. I just can't compare this band and its impact on a fan base to any other band. Like you said, I mean, it's like the Steelers. Like you said, you can punch in uh, uh, whatever town you're in, and it'll tell you whatever Steeler bars mm-hmm. you're at on one one site, and then yeah. <laughs> whatever Grateful Dead bands are around there. You know, there's a, a bit of a similarity in that. And they have a long history here yeah. in Pittsburgh, and I hope it doesn't come to a close tonight. Uh, it feels like Dead & Company might not have a whole lot more runs around the sun here. So uh, I'm going to go out and enjoy know, it tonight. Man. I don't know either, but you know, I mean, Bobby's what seventy four years old, I think, this year, and and oh boy, I thought he was seventy eight. Okay, seventy four is, and he's no, he was born in forty seven, so he's seven. He turned seventy five this year. Mickey Hart, I think, is a year or two older. Bill Kreutzman is a year or two older. So yeah, they're definitely not you know going to live forever, but the quality of the work. Again, I've watched every show on this tour, and Bob Weir is at the top of his game. He is. Uh, he is running this band brilliantly and also doing this amazing thing of kind of holding back a little bit and letting these other guys shine. Yeah. Because you watch the magic, the chemistry between John Mayer and Jeff Kementi is so beautiful to watch. And we have, you know, I'm sitting at home watching it on my couch here in the living room. You'll be able to see it from where you are in that building, too. Because it just glows. What those guys are doing is just amazing. Well, I want to leave with this and say that I'm a big fan of your radio show, Tales from the Golden Road, because to me, I compared it to, there was a viral video yesterday of a bear uh, trying to take her cubs across the road, and the cubs kept going back to the other side of the road, and she just patiently kept going back, picking them up, trying to take them to the other side of the road. And I feel like you do that with the callers on your radio show better than anybody <laughs> possibly could. Because when they call in to tell story, you know, their memories aren't always great. They may not be uh, well-versed as storytellers either. But, boy, it is amazing to me the latitude that you grant your guests on that show or the callers and I couldn't enjoy it more sometimes it's a train wreck and that can be even more entertaining but you hear it in every one of those callers when they talk about these stories these are pilgrimages they are they are spiritual experiences for these people that they love to revisit I yes that's exactly what it is and doing that radio show is just such a treat and really when all is said and done, the number of spun callers is pretty low. I mean, every once in a while we get somebody who can't quite, you know, reel it in and land the story. But mostly it's people with a lot of love in their hearts yeah. and something fun to say. And so, you know, getting paid to listen to people tell stories about this is really just an awesome game. David Gans, author, musician, and all-around good guy. It was a real pleasure to talk with you, and I'll tell the guys in the cause you said hi. And uh, looking forward to seeing this show tonight and watching you uh, in the streams this weekend. Continued success and happy, uh, healthy going forward to you, David. Thank you. Have a great day, everybody. Okay, we'll see you. David Gans. He's, I mean... Oh, that was awesome. He's he's kind of a legendary figure. Sounded like he was talking to us from the 60s. He's the best. I mean, he's the sweetest guy. He had that vibe about him. He's all about the good vibe. That's his whole deal. Getting you set for Dead & Co. tonight this morning on DVE. Pittsburgh hospitals have an urgent need for blood donors to help their patients. 